Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition Edit Podcast. I'm your host, Jeannie Oliver, and today I'm going to be talking with Carrie Gran, co-founder of Carrie Gran Skincare. Carrie Gran is a prominent voice within the all-natural skincare market, and she brings a wealth of knowledge regarding the skincare needs of women in midlife. For over 10 years, Carrie has been thriving on her own terms in the world of clean skincare with her effective, luxurious, and beautifully packaged products. The former self-confessed beauty product junkie has built a company along with her business partner, Lisa Strain, centered around a small line of oil-based skincare products that she personally researched, developed, and tested. Each product is carefully crafted to restore and rejuvenate the skin and is made with organic, naturally-derived, and non-GMO ingredients. Carrie's philosophy is when it comes to natural skincare, less is more, and she believes that it only takes a few simple steps each day to care for our body's largest organ, the skin. There's a lot of greenwashing and deceptive marketing out there in the beauty industry, and today I'm talking with Carrie about the importance of using non-toxic products and how to make choices that better serve you and the planet. So with that, let's start the show. Welcome to the Nutrition Edit Podcast for high-performing women who want to up-level their health and feel their best in their bodies, careers, and personal lives. In this podcast, I'll sift through the latest nutrition and biohacking trends to filter out the bullshit, share what you really need to know, and help you put the good stuff into practice in a way that works for you. You'll get actionable tips from guest experts and myself on how to up-level your mindset, workouts, relationships, and environment, and start feeling like the badass woman you are. Join me as we bust through the bro science and male-centric health paradigm to help you achieve optimal performance, body, mind, and soul. Hey, Carrie. So welcome. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks, Jeannie. It's really fun to be here. Yeah. I've been thinking about this for a while, and I know that you and I could talk about the whole subject of skin for hours on end, so we may have to do a follow-up or future future podcast episodes on skincare because there's a lot there to unpack. There is, and I'm in anytime. Awesome. Yay. <laughs> Good. So why don't we just kick it off? Tell us a little bit about you and how you got into starting Carrie Graham Skin. Well, it's an interesting story how I got started because it doesn't follow the typical trajectory of starting a business. It's something that I truly fell into. It, it was kind of a hobby, let's put it that way. I was an over-consumer of skincare products, beauty products, anything related to personal care, up until I realized there was a point in time that ingredients do matter, what you're putting on and in your body. And really, it all started with food. So I'm sure that you can completely relate to that. But I didn't understand how important what I ate was to how I felt, especially when you deal with a chronic illness. So I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's and Graves' disease, which are both autoimmune forms of thyroid disease, when I was 29, after years and years and years and years of years of not being able to figure out what was wrong with me. And so that's what ultimately led me to the path of where I am now. But I am going to be 55 this year. And so do the math. It's not a short path that it took me here. Um, so going back to food, I started in about 2006 learning more about food through Michael Pollan and his books. And then I took that into the world of looking at ingredient labels of what I was putting on my body. And so there are a myriad of ingredients that are in many personal care products that can contribute to endocrine disruption or hormone disruption. And I had a lot of stuff going on with my hormones. And so I thought, hmm, maybe I'll just start here. And by doing that, in about 2008, eight nine, it was really hard to find products that didn't have right. a bunch of stuff in it that I didn't want. Specifically for me, what I started with was synthetic mm. fragrance and parabens. Because otherwise, yeah. the list gets so long that yes. you can get paralyzed. Yeah. And then you don't, right? You don't know, you don't know what to do. So it was, it was a hobby thing for me. And although I had been making and creating lip products for friends and family for about 20 years, I hadn't delved into the world of skincare, but I left a career that I had had for close to 20 years in 2010 and took a year to kind of, you know, I don't know if you want to call it a midlife crisis or just to find myself. Uh, And I don't know 
if either one of those was fully fleshed out. But in that time period, I did create the core skincare line, which is the line that we still have in place 10 plus years later today. So it was a health crisis of sorts, I believe, that brought me to the place where I am. But I think that overall, it's such a big picture that I don't want to say that only changing my personal care usage routine contributed to the overall health and wellness path that I wanted to be on. It was really taking a strong look at every area of my life. And I had a career that was pretty um, all-encompassing. And I worked a lot. And I just didn't have any real balance. And I think that balance is another tricky word because ultimately... Do we ever really achieve <laughs> right. that? But uh, it was it was pretty upside down in the career that I had before I left. So that's how it started. And I made something for myself. I mm. shared it with a good friend who now is my business partner. And it was her big idea to turn this into a company. So that's in a big nutshell. How I it love happened. it. And can you share what industry you were working in bef- before you started this? Yeah, I okay. was a real estate agent. And so I specialized, I had a very small niche market and I sold downtown Seattle condominium high rise buildings. And so I didn't sell any houses. I didn't go outside of the city. I could walk my entire marketplace that I worked in. Um, But it was a, it was a very, very small segment of the market that was all encompassing and, um, very high dollar value, so lots of yes, high emotions. I bet I can people. imagine for sure. Yeah, <laughs> any home buying experiences. Yes. So yeah, I can I can imagine that being really is stressful, yes. right? Because people don't do it all the time, and so it's a pretty intense thirty days within a contract of somebody's life, and and then the time leading up to it finding something mm-hmm. that they want can be pretty intense as well. And, and it depends on the person. But I met a lot of really great people and I had a really good time yeah. until I didn't. And that's when yeah. I had to leave. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's one of the exciting parts of life is reinventing oneself when we need to, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Completely. So if you would, will you define, share with us your definition of what clean beauty means? Because I think that there's a lot of you know greenwashing out there, which if we have time, we'll dive into, but I don't think that a lot of people are clear on what that actually means. Like what is clean beauty? It is a hard term to define. And that is my most honest answer. And the reason that I say that is I liken it a little bit to a computer platform. And by that, I mean, there are PCs and there are Macintoshes and different things, but they all ultimately do the same thing, but none of them speak the same language, Mm -hmm. if you will, from platform to platform. And so what has happened was when we started in the space, it was called green beauty. And what that was, was just a branch of beauty that was not conventional. So again, going back to the food metaphor, you've got, you go to Whole Foods and you have a conventional strawberry and right. you have an organic strawberry, yep. right? So, so the organic strawberry would be the clean or green side of things. The conventional would be more over the way it's always been done. So that was a pretty easy way to understand things in about 2011, 12. And as the industry became bigger, then things started changing and shifting because, as you said, the greenwashing conversation came into play because if if for instance you said it it's formulated without this and they'd name an ingredient that people felt wasn't great they were sometimes replacing it with something else was equally as also bad not great yeah. yeah so a little bit like the BPA in cans and so you know instead of and then people got this false sense of security so With clean now, what has happened is for us, it's an overarching umbrella that covers um, how we exist as a company, you know, Mm -hmm. how we source our ingredients, how we source our packaging. Is it recyclable? And the packaging goes all the way through the shipping channel. So Mm -hmm. are we putting anything in the boxes that 
it doesn't fit within our guidelines. Are we working with uh, vendors who want us to do something that doesn't fit within our sustainability model? Okay. Do we have any corporate responsibility involved? Do we have a giving back program? So I think it's yeah. really more than just the actual what is inside the product itself, which definitely meets that criteria, but it has to be more than that. Yeah. And that's one thing I love so much about your product and your brand is that it really is this holistic picture of it's clean for your skin and your body, but also for the environment, for the producer. For the world. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And we're in Seattle. And so you understand this. We're in a bit of a bubble in terms of we've been recycling and composting and repurposing and reduce. We've been doing this yeah. for so long. Yeah. And then when I, tra you know, pre-pandemic, I was doing a lot of traveling. And even when I'd go to California, I was shocked at the fact that I couldn't recycle something. Right. Or there wasn't a compost. You know, yeah. it was just my trash can is so small because so much of what we use and consume in our own household goes into recycling or compost. And the same thing happens here at the office. Mm. We have Ridwell, which is a service mm -hmm. that takes things that you can't traditionally compost or recycle. We're also working with an organization called PACT, which is driven by people within the beauty industry itself, understanding that we are creating a lot of waste that can't be recycled through traditional channels. So much like TerraCycle, yeah. you can get these boxes and people can drop off or there's, we even have a mailback program. Cool. And, and then, you know, the cherry on top of it for us, which we're really proud of, since the beginning, we have not done sampling. Mm, yeah, that really you know, does produce a profound amount of, of waste. Profound. When I would go to events or when I would go to trade shows, it was shocking the sackfuls of things that would just ultimately be trash. Because whether or not you wanted to use them, you could give them away to somebody. These single-use packets mm -hmm. are just so, so, so wasteful. Yeah. So that's been, you know, uh, for us, it's been our line in the sand, but it has also come at a cost for our business because some retail accounts want us to have sampling. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so that, that's kind of a big answer to what clean means, but I think we do have to look at it from more than just the standpoint of what's inside of the package itself. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's really enlightening because I think that again, smart marketing is, it can pull the wool over our eyes so easily, you know, right. and we're seeing that now on television commercials like crazy with, you know, Oh, it's free and clear. And it's like, okay, well, there may not be fragrance or colors in there, but there's a million other toxic ingredients and there's so much plastic involved, et cetera, right. et cetera. So well, and anytime you see free and clear, and this is something I learned a really long time ago before I was even involved in this industry, is everything has a scent. Mm -hmm. And so if you want it to be free and clear, you've got to put something in it to wipe that out. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Which I'm guessing mm -hmm. are of dubious nature. <laughs> Could on be. Their own. Could be. Yeah. Oh, there's so much to cover there. We'll do that. I want to do a sustainability series next season and yep. maybe we'll dive deep on that yeah. one. Yeah. There's so much to get into. Yeah. Um, so I would love to hear from you about um, sunscreen. So sunscreen is kind of a big thing. And I know that mm -hmm. sunscreen contains a lot of funny ingredients and you really educated me a way back on the difference between physical sunscreens and chemical sunscreens and, you know, not just how they behave differently or protect us differently from UV rays, but, you know, the, the chemicals there, what that's putting into our bodies, how we're absorbing that, how that's affecting things like coral reefs. So if you give us just a little brief 101 on sunscreen, because I know you use strictly mineral sunscreens, is that right? Yes, we utilize zinc oxide as our UV filter. So um, it might be a little easier to understand if you talk in terms of um, physical filters and chemical filters, because they are all sunscreens, mm -hmm. if you will. 
And so zinc oxide is the one ingredient that is recognized for both UVA, UV aging, and UVB, UV mm. burning. So it's broad spectrum coverage. It's the one and only singular ingredient that does that, the only filter. And it is also physical, so that means it sits on top mm. of your skin. Titanium dioxide is another physical filter, but it is UVB or UV burning protective. Okay. In order to be broad spectrum, you have to combine it with another filter. Right. So for mineral, most commonly, it's combined with zinc oxide. For other, you'll see it a lot combined with other chemical filters, and that is just to provide that broad spectrum I coverage. See. So they both sit on the surface of your skin. A chemical UV filter is one that the body has to absorb into the skin so that it can absorb and deflect the, the heat or the, the UV. And so it all depends. We're each so individual. And it all depends on, are we in the sun? Are we out of the sun? Is it hot? Is it not hot? Are we sweating? Are we not sweating? You know, what's happening? Are we in and out of the water as to how long that filter is actually active, which is where the reapplication every two hours comes in, especially back in the day, pre-2011, we used to have sunscreen and sunblock. Yeah, I remember that. And sunblock was always generally in reference to titanium and zinc because it was a block, a physical filter that sat on top of the skin, whereas sunscreen was something that you had the chemical filters, you know, 15 minutes before you go out, you want to make sure it's active and soaked in and then right. you can, it's going to do its job. But people were getting a little too loose and liberal with um, things like mm -hmm. SPF 100. Yeah, I remember seeing that. You know, and yeah. <laughs> remember that? And so there was a false sense of security by the consumer, rightfully so. I mean, if I put on something that said 100, I would think I would be protected sure. for a really long time. But again, you have to factor in all of the different situations that you could be in that UV light or exposed to UV. And so they changed the ruling and then the monograph or the okay. drug facts panel, then the directions have always further said, apply 15 minutes before going outside and reapply every two hours and during the hours of 10 to 2, use additional measures such as a hat, protective clothing, etc. But the reason that we have stayed with zinc is number one, because it's a singular ingredient that provides both UVA and UVB coverage. And in most instances, people don't have a reaction to it. Although in some cases, even though zinc has been used forever in like diaper creams and things, it can be drying right. on yeah. some people's skin. Yeah. Interesting. But I think, you know, the, the thing that most people don't understand when it comes to a sunscreen, everybody gets like, I need to wear it when I'm in the sun because I'm going to get a sunburn if I don't. That's always been me, admittedly. Right. But then they think the rest of the time you don't need to mm -hmm. wear it. And I think for women in particular who are concerned with things like photoaging, which is premature aging from UV light that results in fine lines, wrinkles, and skin discoloration or hyperpigmentation, why don't you focus on protection and prevention over repair? Yes. Yeah. So we're all chasing like oh, I need this product to repair this or fix this when I liken sunscreen in your facial routine to toothpaste when you take mm -hmm. care of your teeth. You use mm -hmm. it every day. You brush your teeth with it because you're preventing something versus trying to repair something. Yeah. And so just think UV aging. So it's, there's good science, you know, it's yeah. legit. And and I think that more people are on board with it. It's really increased in popularity. And even where we live in the Pacific Northwest, where it's not sunny. Yeah, it's easy to forget. Year round, we need to be wearing it. The, the rule of thumb is if it's light enough to read a book, you need to be wearing sunscreen. Wow. UV light is present. UVA light, UV aging light. Remember, that's not the one that's burning you. It's just out when, it's, when there's light. It's out at almost equal intensity. It penetrates clouds. It penetrates glass, whereas mm. UVB does not. And those are the rays that are longer UV ultraviolet rays that are penetrating your dermal layer 
where your collagen and elastin live. You know, it's sneaky. They're kind of secret sneaky little things. Whereas UVB is so easy to understand when you've been exposed to too much because your skin burns. Exactly. And it's so, it's such a cruel irony because here in the Northwest, the sun's at such an angle for much of the year that we have no vitamin D that we're getting. We're just getting that UVA that's aging Yes, (laughs) It's not fair. it's It's a simple, easy step. And really, it's ultimately about finding what's right for you, what you like the feel of, what you like the smell of, what you like the texture. There are so many things, and that is one product that I have found that people have a real love-hate with. For sure. It's taken me a long time. I love your um, your sunscreen, and I, I use it mostly on my neck, and then I have a makeup that's got it in it. Um, but you know, also going back to your mention of different Endocrine disrupting compounds, a lot of those chemical sunscreens are endocrine disruptors. Yeah. So the zinc is a much less yeah. toxic. Yeah, and there have been call outs and, you know, the, there's so much information now out there about what is good for you, what is not good for you. But really, you have to be your own advocate and decide what Absolutely. you want or what you have a tolerance for because we don't live in a bubble. Like there are just so many things that just by existing in the world aren't good for you by going outside maybe even aren't good for you i just hate to right. be such an extremist or come at it from a scare tactic point of view i don't think anybody likes to be treated that way and really learns anything that way i totally agree and i think that we can very easily get into a place where we're so you know paranoid for lack of a better word or fearful about anything that's possibly right. bad for us that the stress that we're inducing being so fearful about all that is probably more harmful than the imperfect exactly. food or item. Exactly. Right. <laughs> it, right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. So going back really quick, I'd love for you to tell us a little more about the criteria mm-hmm. that you have for your ingredients and your products. What I like to do is, you know, I like to lead with things that are certified organic. Because that's a nice benchmark for everything else to fall underneath it that kind of fits within who we are. And if it's not available that way, then I want to go non-GMO. And if something is certified Mm -hmm. organic, it is by nature non-GMO. So you don't have to cross that bridge. And then things that are naturally derived... Tell us what that means really quickly, naturally derived, because Ugh. that word natural is another kind of tricky one that's that's not regulated at not all. It is not regulated at all. But for I think one of the best examples of naturally derived is glycerin, vegetable glycerin, mm. because there is no vegetable glycerin plant per se. <laughs> it is It is derived from something. And for us, we utilize a glycerin that is derived from the flaxseed. Okay. Because vegetable glycerin is basically, um, it's the when a backbone of a molecule has been broken, like for instance, from corn, soy, coconut, palm, that's when you get the glycerin molecule. And it's a heavy, thick, kind of viscous. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's It almost has the texture of like clear corn syrup. Right. But so you don't just get it. So it's yeah, been it has to be processed. It's it's been synthesized. And so it's technically by definition a synthetic ingredient, but it comes from like our source is flax. And the reason we chose flax was because a lot of people don't want a soy product or a corn product. Um, there's a lot of conversation around palm because the right. deforestation, yeah. although there are some it's places that are doing the right thing, but the other thing to recognize is that in the process of getting glycerin, all of the proteins have been removed as well. Mm. So there's a lot to it. There's a lot more than just, oh, it's from this. But most glycerins are a blend of different product, vegetable-based, if it's a vegetable glycerin. So that's what naturally derived in in my mind, is the best way to explain it is that it's not like even avocado oil. I mean, I guess you could say because it's not, you don't pick avocado oil. It comes from the processing of the avocado plant. So there is some level of processing involved. And again, it's kind of what you want to do for yourself and 
how you you get to that point and and what sort of criteria you have for what you will tolerate. And so for me, those are the primary guidelines and then safe synthetics. Because I am not anti-synthetic, I would be a hypocrite because I use glycerin. You know, like you you can't do that. You can also like oxides from pigments, like iron oxides. They're generally not safe if you dig them up out of the ground and grind them down. The heavy metal content's too high. So they have to be lab produced, right? So it's really, really not true and hard to be like completely like, oh, it's raw and it's cold. You know, I am very practical and we are very transparent with what we have in our product. And so it's easy to look at our ingredients label and go, okay, this, you know, we put it in the Latin word because that is what's called an inky or an international nomenclature of the ingredient Mm -hmm. so that anybody worldwide would be able to know what it is. But then we also add the common name to it. That's cool. I like that. So don't be scared by a Latin word that you don't know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because I've heard many times, if you can't pronounce it, you shouldn't be using it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that let's be honest. honest. Americans don't always have the best, most broad (laughs) grasp of language. There's a lot of stuff we don't pronounce well, (laughs) myself included. Right. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I know that you use oils. Mm -hmm. Yes, we are oil forward for sure. And they're incredible and everything smells amazing. We try. (laughs) Tell us how you chose that. Like I know that you sort of generally cater to women over 40. Is that correct? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. And much older than that, actually. You know, I, we kind of cater to ourselves, if that's a little self-absorbed, but it's true. I'm in my mid-50s. Lisa, my business partner's in her mid-60s. We started this about 10 years ago. And having thyroid issues, I know you're familiar with that. Yes, unfortunately so. It can lead you down the path of having really dry skin. And that was me, like forever. I think forever I've had really dry skin. But as I got older, especially as I approached perimenopause. And then I went through a relatively early menopause due to my autoimmune stuff. The reduction of estrogen and the ability to retain moisture became even more apparent. And so I couldn't figure out why my creams and lotions were only lasting about five to 10 minutes where my skin felt pretty nice for that period of time. But then I felt dry and tight again. And so for me, it was really through yoga and the practice, you know, of learning a little bit, not a lot. I'm not an expert in Ayurveda, but the use of oils worldwide has been going on for centuries. This is not new information, right? I didn't make this up. So I cannot say, oh, I found this oil and it's amazing. But as (laughs) Americans, and especially at the age that I am, I was raised in a very oil phobic, fat phobic world. My coming of age years, right? You know, from food, (laughs) you know, fat free everything. We are the snack well generation. God help us. Yes. (laughs) And um, and then you know all the all the skincare, all the makeup, everything was oil free, oil free because we thought that oil would make us break out. When in fact most of that oil that they were talking about was petroleum. You know, mm. that's a big molecule going into the science. Yeah. And so it it kind of suffocates your skin and it doesn't let your barrier do its job of excreting and absorbing. It wraps it in, in saran wrap. I remember when baby Ugh. oil gel became a thing. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I used to put that all over my body and lie on a reflective silver floaty in the pool to get I a tan. I the same thing. We probably had that, <laughs> that horrifying that floaty. Well, you know, what's more horrifying is, is at least you have a nice olive skin tone. Look at, I mean, I'm like, I just burned. I just burned repeatedly oh, over no. and over again and, you know, finally got to what kind of looked like a tan, but not really. <laughs> oh, it was awful. But the baby oil gel, you know, so... It was a dermatologist I had that actually clued me in early on that that was not doing my dry skin any favors. It might have let it feel a little mm. bit softer for a while, but ultimately what it was doing was suffocating my barrier and then compromising my barrier. So right. we really like to right. talk about skin barrier and barrier function 
it's not super Instagrammable. It's not sexy. It's not, you know, woo before and after. <laughs> but when you have a healthy barrier, it's like having a healthy house foundation. Everything works better. Makeup goes on better. Yeah. It's like having exactly. a healthy gut. And so um, what I learned for myself and when I started using, when I started using oils in about 2008 and nine, I would wake up in the morning and I'd still feel hydrated and moisturized. And that was a mm. new thing for me. Yeah. And so then what led me to creating something for myself was I had found a line I really liked and it wasn't too hippy dippy and patchouli smelling and it looked, you know, it was in pretty packaging. Yeah. I felt like. Which does make such a difference, doesn't it? Like I care about that. I don't want something hippy dippy. I want it to be it beautiful. It does make a difference. I know. And when I first started looking for things, it was very hard to find. I am so grateful that people have so much choice now. I mean, it looks, it all looks very conventional and mainstream, which I think is wonderful. And, you know, I feel a little bit shallow saying yeah. that the packaging mattered, but it did matter to me because I was conditioned and raised that way from shopping at a right. conventional beauty mm -hmm. counter from the time I was like 15 years old at Nordstrom's. That's that's what I wanted. And when I had to go to the health food store, which I love, don't get me wrong, I love a good health food store. Mm -hmm. But there was kind of weird <laughs> stuff on the bottom shelf yeah. that nobody really bought. And you didn't know how long it'd been yeah. sitting there and it smelled kind of weird. And so, so for oils, going back, sorry, I, I, I took a very long detour to get there. What I wanted to do was first and foremost, play with them. How did I like the way they felt on my skin? I used to formulate in a tank top because I would have all these different patch tests going all over. You know, how did they feel? How did they smell? How long did they take to absorb or dry down? Um, yes. You know, you've probably heard the term dry oil. Okay. And, and all that means is that it's got a really small molecular structure and it absorbs really quickly into the skin. Whereas um, heavier oils like castor in particular, they will sit on top of the skin for a long time. And that's right. why we use it in our cleansing oil. It's not going to absorb. It's meant to help clean the skin without stripping it and not to be used as a leave-on product. Right. And it draws out mm -hmm. impurities too. Yeah. It? Like the old school castor poultices that yeah. our grandmothers used with yes. the muslin cloths. So for me, it was just, what did I like? the look of, the smell of, the properties of, because just like a, something you eat, these oils all have different properties. And then synergistically, they do work together. And they create a fragrance because, I, as I said, everything naturally has a fragrance. So right. to say fragrance-free on something that has a whole bunch of ingredients in it, there has to be something in there to make the fragrance go away. Right. So for the most part within our core line, like with our serum and our tonics and our balm and our cleansing oil, we utilize essential oils. And that's another slippery slope because mm. things have gotten weird with a lot of multi-level marketing and people ingesting yeah. oils or just, I mean, the fact that you can go to the grocery store and buy them off the shelf is a little bit mm -hmm. scary because if you haven't studied them, they are very concentrated. There are safe yes. usages and you really need to know those things because it's not this, the case of if a little is good, a lot is better. Right. Oh God, no. I mean, there are certain lethal essential oils out there from different plants. I mean, it's it's been used as medicine for thousands of years because of the strength and the, yep. well, should be purity, right. but just so that is where we that is where I utilize some scent plus the beneficial properties of the oils themselves to create the sensorial experience that we have within our line. But we also have some things that don't have any essential oils added to them, and then you are just smelling the plant oils themselves, mm. which sometimes yeah. are great, and sometimes we call it you know they need to be masked because they don't smell mm. so good. Like castor oil on its own does not smell so good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mind it. I don't think it, it smells bad, but it's, it's just funky. kind of neither here nor it's there. It's got yeah. a little bit of a funky smell to it. Yeah. 
So just to be clear too, there's a, a drastic difference between synthetic fragrances, those fragrances that we've talked about, about that have you know phthalates yep. and those endocrine disrupting yes. compounds in them and scent that's coming from a pure organic essential yeah, oil. Yeah, or a plant. So, And the true telltale sign of a plant-based or an essential oil is that you will smell it, it will start to dissipate, and it will generally fade out within five to 10 minutes, probably max. Yeah. Whereas a synthetic fragrance will not go away. Oh God, tell right? me about it. It's, yeah. And sometimes yeah. you get tricked into these things that are like organic fragrance. Well, that's another whole <laughs> conversation, but it goes on the skin and then you cannot get it off. Yeah. And I hate that. I hate it. So yeah. that's the tell. If an hour later, two hours later, you can still smell it, then it is a synthetic fragrance. So we recently uh, did a little limited edition fragrance roller ball. Yes, I bought it oh, and I'm obsessed. Thank welcome. you very much because I love everything jasmine. jasmine. You either love it or you don't. <laughs> and so if you love it, it you, oh, you'll probably love like it. it. But the reason we put it in a roller ball is because it is not going to stay for the duration of the day. It is going to fade. And that's that's its purpose. Um, and, and I created it. So it's your fragrance. It's not everybody else's fragrance. You know, you've gotten into an elevator or you've gone into a room or you've gotten on an airplane and somebody's fragrance yeah. knocks you over. Oh my God. It's such a pet peeve of mine. I hate it. And you know what I really hate is this whole trend of hotels yes. pumping fragrance into their lobbies. I literally break out yep. in hives walking into many hotels now because of that. And yeah, isn't that a terrible a girlfriend thing? recently? Oh, it's horrible. And a girlfriend recently gave me, um, she was moving and she gave me a piece of clothing and I didn't realize it till I got home, but it had obviously had been, you know, washed with a fabric mm -hmm. softener. I washed <laughs> that thing like four times. The smell will not come out. So I'm just having to give it away because it's so right. intense. Four yeah. washings. I know. <laughs> I know. So that that's the tell. I think that's the easy tell for anybody. Okay. Yeah. That's a good tip. That's a good tip. And look, like newsflash, everybody, nobody wants to be overwhelmed by your nobody. perfume. It's that, what I call the old lady nose blindness, right? Where oh, I can't smell it. So I'm yeah. going to spray more and more and more. And then it's like you walk around with this cloud surrounding you that everyone's yeah. just like, oh, dear God, you know, it could knock us over. It's so But strong. I was that person. For a long time, mm. I was, I loved fragrance, honestly. And, you know, I'm a product of the 80s yeah. and it was, you know, pretty Giorgio, oh, poison. <laughs> and they were all so potent, but I was buying the body wash. Yeah. I was buying the body lotion. I was buying the sparkly body powder. I was then spraying myself with the, like oh loading God, it up, spraying it on my clothes. And I had big hair, spraying it in yeah. my hair. So, so that <sighs> is, Yeah. Sorry, that is, you and I know each other a little too well, so I get off topic. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fun. It's good. And I think a lot of people can relate to this. You know, it's so common. It's so ubiquitous everywhere. And I know a lot of people, they want constant fragrance in their homes. I was at a friend's place recently and there were oh. scented candles going. I had to leave early because my eyes were itching and I my skin was all itchy. It was awful. And I think, of course, it's exacerbated by the fact that I know how toxic right. that is and that it is, you know... Obesogenic. Like I just wrote a blog post about obesogens and what those are. It's a whole other category of those endocrine disrupting chemicals. And this stuff is really bad for us. And they've got like little the scent sticks, sticks in the bathroom. And the breeze and, and all. Yeah. The, the plugins. plugins. Yeah. It's everywhere. And I understand wanting, you know, your house to smell nice, but thankfully there are beautifully essential, yep. you know, scented candles and different things that we can use now that are not right. as toxic. No, they're not going to last as long, but it's worth it. The and even, you know, yeah. a little bit of vinegar with water in a spray bottle, it might not smell great initially, but it does a nice job of cleaning the air up. And cleaning yeah, in general. And cleaning in general. It's a, it's a real back to basics. I love yeah. using vinegar. Use it for everything. Everything. Hello, nutrition editors. If you've been listening and you're ready to put this work into practice in your own life, Head over to joliverwellness.com and book a free 30-minute chat to learn more about coaching with me or to check out my self-study programs. I also invite you to join my email list where you'll hear from me a few times each month with recipes and strategies for reducing stress, improving your metabolic health, and working out smarter, not harder. 
subscribers will also receive exclusive offers on my programs that I don't share anywhere else, and you'll get early access to registration for my Body Liberation Together group program. I look forward to connecting with you, and let's get back to the show. Um, I wanted to ask you about your, your mm-hmm. packaging, because we talked a little bit about the sustainability, the recyclability, but how about UV exposure of the actual right. product? So we chose the glass that we have, and it is it looks black, but it's actually violet. And what it does is it protects the product from UV light, with the exception of violet light that can penetrate, and it's not damaging. Okay. So... Air and light are the enemies of oil. They oxidize it. You don't, right. just like, like a, a cooking, cooking oil, oil you oil. don't keep it. Generally, it's not in clear glass. And you don't want to keep it in a sunny spot in your house because it will just accelerate the rancidity of that oil. So by keeping it in the cool, dark place, which we have, the it's called Myron, M-I-R-O-N glass, which I've used since the beginning, it's expensive, but it does, you know, I think it looks nice and it does a job of protecting the product that's inside it because we don't mm-hmm. use any um, forever preservatives like a paraben, which, you know, the upside of right. a paraben is that it protects the ingredients for a really, really, really long time. I like to call it like you get the shelf life of a Twinkie. Oh, so that's the trade-off, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that yeah. is we, and so we utilize glass whenever possible. And then if not, we, we try to do the best that we can. So for instance, with our makeup, they are housed in jars that are made of PETG because that is what is available with a sifter on it. You need a sifter for mineral makeup and you can't get a glass jar because the next all have a different tolerance, which means that they can be different sized. So that little piece won't fit in and seat properly. And I've worked on this for years and years and years. So our solution to that was we sell refill packets that are in fully compostable, industrial compostable, which in Seattle, every, you know, we can compost, but I recognize that in other yeah. parts of the nation, it isn't necessarily that way, but they are available so that, because there's really, once the makeup's out of the jar, you don't need to throw the jar away. The jar is fine. You can just refill it. That was the best that we can do. So we do the best with what we have. And as a company who isn't a national conglomerate, I'm not buying packaging in 500,000 unit pieces. So, you know, I have a little bit different playing field than the big people out there. So again, with anything, I think think you just show up and you do your best. And, and that's what we have done. So when we have the option available, we choose it. Yeah. I love that. And it's been fun to watch just the evolution and shifts that you've made over the years and adding the refillable package. Yeah. So that's what we've done. And then we recognize also that in some parts of the country, people can't even recycle their glass. Oh, it is crazy. Nuts. That blows my mind. But it is more, I mean, we are in a bubble and let's just acknowledge that. We are. We really are. We are pretty lucky That's in many ways here. That's why we partnered with organizations like PACT so that we can help be part of the solution. We've also partnered with an organization called Plastic Bank. So we pay into that each year so that we are 100% plastic neutral. So whatever plastic we do put out into the world, we offset that with a financial contribution. Again, we do what we can. Right. And and that's yeah. all you can do. It's like small steps add up to big things. And some people are just like, well, since I can't do everything, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. Right. Why bother? bother. So Mm -hmm. it's hard to stay on task sometimes because you think, well, I really want to do that, but you know, we're just not big enough or, or we don't have access to that resource. You just, it's, it's about being perfectly imperfect. Yeah. You always say, what is it? The enemy, perfect is the enemy of good. Perfect is the enemy of good. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And I think that that goes for any area in our lives that we want to improve. Um, So you'd mentioned before that food was kind of your first foray into improving your health and your medical conditions. When it comes to feeding our bodies and feeding our Mm -hmm. skin or eating for 
healthier, more radiant skin. You know, what are your top tips there? Well, I'm going to steal a few things from you that I've learned over the years, (laughs) one of which is vegetables taste a whole lot better when cooked with fat. And you also absorb (laughs) the actual nutrients in the vegetables, the fat-soluble ones in particular, right? A, D, E, and K. And so that was like the best tip. So step away from the steamed broccoli, right? And the steamed bland (laughs) cauliflower. The fat-free salad dressing. And really add some fat to those things. I like to refer to it as moisturizing your body from the inside out. Mm, And I took a a course at Bestier years ago, and there was a discussion about food that you eat and really what you're doing is feeding and nourishing your cells because the top layer of your skin, they are not living skin cells anymore, the top layer of your epidermis. So Mm -hmm. ultimately, what you want to do is get the cells that are coming from the inside out to be the fattest, juiciest, healthiest, happiest cells possible. You don't want them to be withered and sad and, you know, not plump. And so I think it really does matter. Avocados, great source of healthy Mm. fats, tastes really good and very satisfying. And obviously salmon. I mean, we live in the Pacific Northwest again, and I'm lucky in that my husband goes fishing a lot and he's actually leaving for Alaska shortly on a little trip. And we eat mostly fish that he catches And so I am very lucky in that respect. And he also smokes the fish. And then we don't put all that sugar and salt on it. You know, we cold smoke it. And then I have that option. Mm, So I am, I am more of, you know, my goal is to be nothing's off limits unless it's really detrimental. So in my case, <laughs> and again, going back to you and having a meeting years ago and you asked me, cause I, with having celiac markers and having the Hashimoto's gluten proteins are problematic for me. And so you asked me if yeah. I was eating it and I said, to, you know, maybe not often, maybe just like, 20% of the time. And you were like, now why then, yeah. are you doing that? a bunch of little golf balls. You'll <laughs> never forget that. And so for me, that is a, that does create a real inflammatory response in my body. And so I think the key is, is limiting inflammation and a true yeah. sign of inflammation that's going internally is when you get redness, breakouts, scaling, anything that's happening on your skin is generally a bit of a canary in the coal mine. So for some, it's mm-hmm. like, see what works for you. Try it out. You know, and if, you know, I've recently reincorporated Greek yogurt into my life and I had kind of been a non-dairy eater, but I had a whole bunch of sinus problems that were mechanical. I had a deviated septum and little sinus passages. Mm. So now that I've had that corrected, I can consume that without any problems. Whereas, you know, being a bit type A, I am all or nothing. And so I, I don't like to be that way as much as I get older. But really, it's ultimately about knowing yourself. And for me, my goals right yeah. now are healthy fats, adequate fruit and vegetable intake, and protein. Protein is a big one for the skin. And I think we've all, I was honestly a little turned off by like all the keto stuff. And I mean, I never know what to do. It's I'm always confused. And because I have a history of disordered eating, you know, it's easy to fall into a trap like that. So for me, definitely. Now I just focus on really like what is truly anti-inflammatory for me, because if I can limit that inflammation, everything just works better and looks better. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true. And you and I have talked about this before, but I definitely see it in my skin first when something is off with me. Now I know a lot of people have, you know, hormonal issues that can cause skin issues and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have, you know, right. A terrible gut or what have you, but you know, hormone issues can be inflammatory within themselves. But for me, I, my skin has cleared up a lot, but I had terrible acne as a young person. I have incredibly oily skin, which now 
I'm thankful for. Absolutely. Um, but I can always tell if my liver needs some support because my skin is more irritable, sensitive, and given I, because I had such bad acne as a kid, the rounds and rounds of antibiotics, and then all the really harsh topical chemical products that I was prescribed and the benzoyl peroxide and salicylic acids and all of those things, it did so much damage to my barrier, my skin barrier, that I feel like I'm still trying to recover from that to some degree. Um, And, you know, it's just a constant, Mm -hmm. I think, maintenance Mm -hmm. project for me. But if you saw my skin now and you saw my skin in my 30s, it's much better. Sure, I may have some more fine lines. Um, I'm going to be 50 soon. I welcome that because it's living, it's not aging, Mm -hmm. and every year is a gift. But definitely it's, you know, that, like you said, canary in a coal mine, it really shows up for me that way. And, you know, I'm incredibly dairy intolerant. If I have even a little bit of it, that's how I know because the next day I've got pimples. Like I have full on like teenage acne. Right. And so, and I had given up dairy for so long that I thought I'd never have it again. But I just, you know, I I don't have anything outside of the Greek yogurt. And why I moved back to that was purely from Mm -hmm. a protein point of view. And it's, you know, it was a test. I tested it for myself and how did it work? And it, it, Right. And it works. the right way to do it. In yeah. the past, it didn't work. So, but mm-hmm. I do think that we cannot, like, I, I sell skincare. I get it. Good skincare is really important. However, good nutrition is, it, it could be even more important because it's what's going to happen and be pushed out to the surface of your skin. And yeah. I think we all know that when we eat well and we drink water, we just, we look and feel better. And it's not necessarily all about looks, but when your skin feels good, it just looks happy. You know, don't underestimate the power of healthy, happy, hydrated skin and a healthy barrier. So, you know, clean diet, sleeping, right? Sleep, water, stress management and moving your body a bit. I think, yeah. And if any one of those things is not done, you know, it, it might not all show up right away, but eventually it will make its way to the surface. And let's not discount for women of a certain age, the perimenopause to menopause transition, because perimenopause is basically oh, yes. your second puberty, if you will. Your hormones just get mm-hmm. a little bit nutty for some worse than others. And yeah. like you said, yeah. Oftentimes that there's not a whole lot you can do about that in the moment. I never had acne. I was really, really lucky until I was in my mid forties. And then I did. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was like, what (laughs) What is is this happening here? I hadn't changed my diet. I hadn't changed what I was putting on my skin, but it was just the peaks and valleys of my hormones kind of sputtering out. And then once it once I got through that, you know, everything normalized again, but so just, you know, have patience. It's hard, but you'll get through it. Yeah. And there's so much information now out there and so much help. Yeah. It's so much better than oh my gosh. even five, 10 years it's ago. Way better. I feel like. Yeah. It's more mainstream. Yeah. And you're right that it differs. Mm-hmm. It is more mainstream and there are some ac- really good doctors and we have some decent science out there yeah. now, which we just never have in the past. And I think that, yeah, it's it's totally different for everybody moving through that transition, but the same ways that you're talking about supporting your skin with nutrition and sleep and movement and all of these things, that can help us have an easier transition too. Is it going to fix everything? Probably not, especially for some people, but it can make it usually much smoother right. or right. easier. Yeah. So in wrapping up, Carrie... In addition, because we talked about sunscreen, we know the importance of that. What other advice do you have, both for younger women who want to take mm-hmm. preventive measures and for those of us gals who are, you know, definitely 40 plus and want to just take better better care of our skin um, and still practice prevention right. before repair? I would say focus on the basics. Cleanse, hydrate and moisturize. And protect your skin. 
So with a cleanser, especially as we get a little bit older, and people with dry skin and people with oily skin can benefit from an oil-based cleanser because it will help tell oily skin, stop producing so much oil, and it will not strip your dry skin. That, for me, has been a real game changer. In terms of moisturization, what you need to focus on is something that has some emollient protection, like an oil is an emollient. Whereas something that's waterborne or like okay. a hydrosol, plant hydrosol, that's your hydration. Mm. So together, that's what forms that the oil basically locks the moisture into your skin. And then for protection, okay. it's sunscreen, 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 and more sunscreen. Yeah. And that is like if I could tell my silver floaty baby oil tanning tanning bed <laughs> I recently yes. had to go oh, have God. a little skin cancer check right on the middle of my chest because that's just been I call it mm. the triangle of sadness like the movie because I never wore sunscreen on it <laughs> yeah. and it just has I have yeah. like a big permanent brown freckle either. and luckily I didn't have skin cancer but now I have a big scar right in the middle of my chest and it's it's yeah. just like protection like it's just not anything I thought about and just do it just just add it to your routine so you don't even think about it but then you also have like the benefit if you want to go into the more the treatment mode you know instead of the um, prevention over repair vitamin c vitamin c serums are really great mm. because they are an antioxidant boost so they're the perfect yeah. base layer for your sunscreen and I've brought that back into my life as of late and I'm really enjoying it. And so that's a good thing you can do from any age. But for women who have had significant sun damage, you know, it depends on the level of it. You might have to go get a laser treatment to really, let's just be sure. totally honest. Topicals can't solve every issue, but they can be super helpful. Yeah. And then for some, I am not an exfoliator. Mm -hmm. My skin just can't take it, especially anything okay. that's too aggressive or, you know, like chemically. So for me, what I have found right. is because you have to remove the cleansing oil with a washcloth, you cannot get it off any other way. That wipe with the washcloth right. every single day is kind of the perfect amount of exfoliation for me. If your skin can take it, just don't take it too far. Because people get that hit, right. you know, and then they want to do it more. And it's really easy to go too far and disrupt your barrier. Yeah, I've done that before. And I'm so sensitive. And you really have changed the game for me with the washcloth thing. Because I, I, I never did that washcloths before. Are dumb. Knowing I you. It's like, what's the purpose of a washcloth? <laughs> yeah. Because I was using a foaming cleanser. So, you know, there really wasn't a need right. for it. But now there is a need. And the other thing that I have come up against is people are using the same washcloth a few nights in a row. Yeah. And that is because oh they'll just hang it up and dry it out. But because there's no surfactant or foaming agent in like a cleansing oil, a traditional cleansing oil, you, you need yeah. to, you need to wash it. You need to run it through the wash machine. Right. Right. All that so skin and it's, so I don't want to make the assumption that people understand that either. So if you are utilizing a right. cleansing That's oil a of point. any sort, please use a fresh, clean washcloth each and every time that you remove it. But yeah, now that I do this routine, I, I like it because I just kind of press it on the first time and let the smells hit me. And then the second time I really give it a nice wipe. And that is okay. a nice level of exfoliation for me. So again, Lisa, my business partner, loves exfoliating, loves, loves, loves it. And she's olive complected. She tans beautifully and her skin can tolerate it. And so by all means, do it. Find something mm -hmm. that works for you. You can do it. Just don't go crazy because you can't chase that first hit yeah. of, you know, getting the dead skin off and then being like, oh my God, I'm going to do this all the time. And, you know, people will say, oh, I like it. It makes yeah. my skin tingle. Your skin should not be tingling. That's not a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tolerate right? those more, you know, chemical 
um, exfoliators either, mm-hmm. even the really natural, more gentle ones that are supposed to be so soothing and gentle, I will be so red and irritated mm-hmm. and my skin will burn. Um, I found the only thing that I can do that's kind of, you know, I guess more of a physical exfoliator besides the washcloth is a really um, like slightly crystallized manuka honey. I can let it sit on my skin for a minute uh-huh. till it starts to kind of melt a little bit. And yep. then I can kind of massage it in and take it off with the washcloth. But that's the only thing that's that's gentle enough um, other than just your cleansing oil and the washcloth. And you mentioned the vitamin oh. C. I want to say something about that really quick because vitamin C is something mm-hmm. that in the past has irritated me really badly. Yours does not irritate the me. What's the, the actual difference? form of C. So there's L-ascorbic okay. acid and scorbyl palmitate. Those are both water-soluble forms of C. They're also pretty unstable. And so I have Mm. seen where some companies have like powder and that you activate, you know, way back in the day, philosophy had one and that I used it, but it's, it can irritate your skin pretty quickly if you're not careful, if you're, or if you're going over the top with it. Oh yeah. So the form of C that we are using, the the shorthand is THD, D as in dog, tetrahexadexal ascorbate is what it's called. And it is an oil soluble and it's stable and it's, so it doesn't have the same irritation. And, and with the other C's, you'll see a lot of times people have it in formulations up to like 15, 20% I've seen, and we're in at 10%. So that's kind of where we feel comfortable Again, it's all about knowing yourself, but I never used C because it always yeah. irritated my skin. And I was like, I'm not doing it, not doing yep. it, not Same. doing it. Same. And Lisa had been using one that had this form of C in it. And so I tried it and I thought, oh, yeah, let me look at this. And then when we paired it with the plant oils that are in it and the the Swedish algae that's in it, it's also really moisturizing. Mm. And it acts a bit like hyaluronic acid. They've got some clinicals on it. And hyaluronic is another ingredient that's nice, but you have to put nice. it in water. And I personally don't care for the, the sensory experience. It can be a little bit tacky and, and sticky. Mm, yes. And then right. mm-hmm. you get that pilling sticky. effect where it rolls off your face. So again, it's... It's like, I'm not saying don't use it, do use it. It's, here's my experience with it. So with this vitamin C serum, I, I feel like I tried to combine the best of all worlds with the plant oils as the emollients, the Swedish algae as, you know, a, a humectant or that hyaluronic type feel. And then the, the vitamin C that is not only stable, but not irritating to my skin. Yeah. I was really hesitant at first to try it, you know, but now I'm using it more Yeah. And, more and you don't have to use it every day, like build up I to it. it again, see what your skin will tolerate, but okay. use it during the day. Good to know. It's the base layer. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Well, this has been so fascinating. Is there anything that we didn't touch on or a final oh my thought gosh. that you want to share I think share you with and I, Carrie? the problem we have is we could go on and on and on and on <laughs> and I think we hit the things that are good jumping off points for people to start with. There's always more you can dive into, but don't overwhelm yourself. Just, you know, take little bites. Agreed. Don't get too, don't stuff yourself like at Thanksgiving. Just. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay, Carrie. So tell us where people can find you and your wonderful products. So we are available online at, www.carrygran.com and we ship from our Seattle facility and we're really fast and everybody gets a handwritten note. We just want to make people enjoy the experience of shopping online because um, especially during the pandemic, people weren't going out and buying things in retail settings, which we have some amazing retail accounts and I'm glad that people are back, but it's a real hybrid of how people are shopping anymore. And Mm. I hate nothing more than ordering something and not getting a notice that it's shipped for like two weeks. Yeah. (laughs) No, you guys are great about that. It drives me crazy. 
And um, we do have a list of retail accounts on our website too. So if you want to see if you can support somebody locally, that is great in your area. Awesome. I love it. Well, cool. And everybody I'll share in the show notes, Carrie's website. You guys are pretty active on Instagram. So I'll share all her socials and all the details where you can find her. But thank you so much for joining us today. This has been so thank much fun. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. It's always fun to see you, even if it's virtually. You too. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. We'll do it again. You're welcome. Right. Thanks, Carrie. Hey there, thanks for hanging out with me today. And if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave me a quick review. Also check out the show notes for links to connect, follow and share this podcast and for information featured in each episode. See you next time. I am not a doctor and the content here should not be taken as medical advice. All information in this podcast is for informational purposes only, does not constitute medical advice and does not establish any kind of practitioner or coach client relationship. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Do not disregard medical advice or delay seeking medical advice because of information you hear in this podcast or any other. And do not start or stop any medications without speaking to your health provider. Always seek the advice of a qualified health practitioner before undertaking a new health regimen. This podcast and website represents the opinion of Jeannie Oliver and guests to the show. Opinions of guests are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Genie Oliver Wellness LLC or our producers.